my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> before you guys both go to prison we'll get this started Episode two here, we got uh, Ira, myself, and our guest is Rob Roberts. Um, a lot of you guys in our waterfowl hunting community and the big game hunting community know Rob. <clears throat> his his company, Rob Roberts Custom Gunworks, is kind of, uh, you know, it's been around a while, but it's, you know, gaining popularity, it seems like, going crazy every year. So we're really happy to have Rob on, talk about hunting, what he's got going on at the shop, kind of how he got to that point. And, uh, and I know I'm excited to have him on. I know Ira is, too. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Ira, why don't you start it out? We, we kind of talked before here, but, um, Rob, thanks for coming on. Ira, why don't you start out kind of how, how you preface that question to Rob here, uh, what you just asked? Well, I mean, you know, I, I know Rob, we've had some good times together and, uh, uh, taking in some serious libations together, got food poisoning together, uh, killed a few <laughs> turkeys together. And one good. thing I know Kill about one thing I know about Rob for sure is that he's got hillbilly roots through and through. So I want to know how a, a barefooted, empty-pocketed hillbilly from <laughs> Arkansas ended up becoming a highly successful businessman in uh, in our little hunting community. And uh, I'm, I'm coming with the assumption that Rob didn't didn't uh, didn't grow up with uh, you know money just falling out of each pocket. So Rob, you know, where'd you start and, uh, tell us what, you know, your childhood was like and, and, uh, all that stuff. I always had the, just a hankering for it. I mean, it was one of those things that I'd come home from school, grab a gun, go shoot things and not necessarily, you know, by the book, but I had a lot of fun out playing. And we were in a, in an age back then that you could do stuff like that today. You know, they throw everybody in prison because that's not the way you do things. But, uh, but growing up uh, here in the South and stuff like that, you know, you, you had some freedom to do that. But uh, I don't know about highly uh, successful, but uh, the good Lord has a sense of humor and he really has shined on, on the st stuff that we're doing and, and allowed us to kind of move on with it. It's kind of what's going on. We uh, uh, just had some buddies get together, started shooting, you know, we've hunted, shot skeet things, gambled off a tailgate, throwing targets and stuff. And it escalated more into the skeet world and then into the sporting clays come along and, and started hanging out with uh, people that really were good shooters. And you start seeing these guys, this guy's national champ, that one's this, this is that. Um, you learn the traits and everything that they were doing to their guns to, you know, it's just like racing cars. All the stuff that they were hot rodding their guns up with um, just kind of hit a Rolodex and from there, we started building the products and, and testing them and finding out what was working, what really was getting that gain, and then brought it to the hunting market. And I guess everything's kind of working out. And like I said, the good Lord shined on us. So here we, here we are. Well, <laughs> That's about the only you know thing I come up with. Well, what were you <laughs> like? I know a lot of people that are that are into shooting shit and drinking beer and talking about hunting, but I don't know very many of them that very few of those people take that and actually go forward with it. I mean, you know, how many people have you talked to? It's like, well, you know what we ought to do. I mean, how many times have I been hunting and said, you know, you know what I ought to do or, you know, what, what we need is, but to go from the, go from seeing that and being around that to implementing it and turning it into a business, 
what were you doing at what age in your life? Did you kind of say like, I'm going to roll with this. What were you doing for work at that point? And how did you kind of segue into let's give this a try? Oh, well, I'll tell you, it's one of those, uh, never been really scared of a whole lot of things. I think I've done, um, from concrete work to, uh, I don't know, chicken trucks. I mean, and <laughs> they grew up on, that's what my dad and those used to do. They hauled live chickens a lot. So it was, uh, I've been around about everything and the guns was everything I'd fall back on. Even when I had uh, a different business or something that I was trying to do, it always came back to guns and uh, hunted forever. Always just a, a desire to, I don't know if it's bloodthirst or whatever like that, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, the truth of the matter is you don't, you don't go out just to look at all the pretty birds. You go out to try to kill them. So once you, uh, bigger is always better. So it, it was one of those things. I don't like to see anything crippled. And then, you know, we look for overkill. How can we kill that out there farther? Or how can we shoot that out there farther? I'm not being politically correct. I know, I, and I need to be. We don't. That's but. good. No, not not for us. You know, you're with but, two people like, who couldn't care less. And it is like, the hunt. You know, if if uh, if you go out, you know, uh, like turkeys, for example, they went from everybody used to want to have five thousand pellets in a three inch circle at two hundred yards. You know, it just overkill, overkill. And now it's to the point where everybody likes to shoot four tens and I'm not going to shoot a turkey over 20 feet. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm still that guy that would like to shoot them way out there, but uh -huh. know, we, I know you are, you know, to be a sportsman, you really want whatever you, you don't want something suffering. Uh, you see it on television. You see a lot of television shows where the guy shoots a deer, for example, and the deer runs off for, and he's going great shot, great shot. That's man. That was perfect. I hate to see that personally. I want to go boom and it goes tits up and nothing ever, <laughs> nothing flinched. It's dead right there on the spot. Then you did it right. Nothing suffered. You killed it and I'll go clean it and eat it, you know, but uh, that's, right. that's, that's kind of what it is. So we, that's kind of a passion that we have to, uh, you see, um, I guess one of the things we see a lot of is a lot of BS over the years. You see people with products that are coming out and they're just doing a product so that they can make a lot of money. And I mean, I, that is the reason for doing it, I guess, but no, it's not real. You're lying to people. It, that, that product really don't work. Why are you, why are you doing that? And so uh, that, that's always been hardcore for us too. It's like, no, we want to test it, test it, test it further, and then uh, find out what is working. And, and then, then you can put your name on it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's, you know, part of the reason for your success is that it's not just a, a tagline or a sales pitch. You know, you guys have been passionate about it for a long time and you put a lot of the, you know, you take a lot of steps to, to have a product that you can stand behind and know that it's been tested and, and all those things. Just to start from the beginning is like when you were a kid and you were killing stuff, were you doing it because you guys were hungry? Or were you doing it just because you were a mean-spirited little shit like me, um, or what? But <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, we're on the same page. It it was, um, you know, as I got more into the high school, then it was about, you know, killing limits, skinning, cleaning, cooking. As that went along, then that become a good reason for doing it. 
you know, we, I did it to start with just because it was like honing skills. You know, you was a kid trying to play army, if you would. Um, and I mean, I started really early and had very little supervision, um, back in those days. And so those I would, did, home, yeah. I wonder you know, if he's alive yet. That, that's true. Uh, it really is. And it, I'd come home from school and put stuff up and, I would go find whatever had the most bullets. If I could find a handful of 22 ammo, then I'd grab one of my dad's 22s and take it off. If it was shotgun, I'd try to figure out how many shells and I'd come back and I might have everything from songbirds to squirrels to whatever I got into, you know, and I mean, it, it yeah. uh, that's just truth. Um, but it was more of the honing skills and didn't realize that's what he's doing. It was sneaking around, like I said, sneaking up, um, being superior to what you was after, chasing. That that was kind of like a dog chasing cars, so to speak. That's kind of what I was doing. And so um, with that come, hey, you know what? These squirrels are really good to eat. The season's in. I think we're going to go shoot this, come back, skin, cook. And that was all um, – of course, it's kind of a tradition around where I grew up anyway. It's, you know uh, – they were proud to see the young guy that killed a deer or, um, you know, hey, that kid can, he, he's really a good hunter. You know, hunting and fishing was always, that's big in our area anyway. And so that, that's part of it. That's also, I guess, why the military always comes and finds us. Uh, what about education, man? I mean, what, well, you what was your education like to get you, you know, prepared for, for the rest of your journey through your life? Well, you've talked to me enough to know that I'm not educated. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's nothing. Um, actually, uh, like I said, I've done several different type jobs and you go out and work this, work that. Uh, I mean, I was even in taxidermy at one point. I was, I was working on in a trucking company and doing taxidermy in the evening. Uh, ended up turning into uh, doing concrete stuff. And so it was just a jack of all trades and I really wasn't good at any of them. I mean, to me, that's really cool because, you know, I mean, I'm not saying we have a huge following by any means, but, you know, part of what I want this podcast to do is that no matter what somebody, somebody's education or current position is, you know, it's not like you have to go to college or have to have a doctorate or have to have any of that to be successful in life you know and and it, you got to be a hard worker and and you got to keep both eyes open and pivot and move i've got two daughters i sent them both to college to become stupid um i swear you know it was one of those things that uh, i hated the ways the values and everything and in today and just like i've got some grandkids now like uh, i told my daughter and she's got a master she actually works with us she come in um glad to have them around but, uh, you know, my oldest daughter is who I'm talking about here. She comes in. She, she runs a lot of stuff in our company and everything else. She's got a master in uh, forensic psychology and stuff like that. My other, my other daughter went and had uh, hers is all in criminology. So I had one daughter that could tell you how to kill somebody and the other one tell you how to get away with it. But, um, <laughs> but in, in reality, the young man comes in and he's mechanical minded. It's like, whatever you do, don't send this kid to college. When he, when he graduates from high school, take him out, buy him a dump truck, a trailer, and a backhoe, and I promise you by the time he's 35, 40 years old, he's got more money and he knows what to do with it. And uh, that's – college education's not wrong. Don't get, don't get me there. 
you just have so many kids today that are going for the wrong reasons. If you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, blah, 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 and get into one of those professions, yeah, college. But, but for the people that just send their kids to college just so that uh, they can go play a while, uh, it's not really working out. It's kind of got our country in a mess, too, if you really want my opinion. But I was not that guy. I had, uh, I'm an alumni from the University of Arkansas. Um, I went there two weeks. I never opened a book or anything, so I didn't last real long. So that's that's my alum right there. But uh, actually, it was almost three weeks. I had a lot of tickets and stuff, though. I was studying to be an oral gynecologist at the time, but it just didn't pan out. You know, you I, didn't come away empty-handed or empty-mouthed, yeah, for God's sakes. I mean, I even had the stirrup table and everything, but it, it, it didn't work. And mobile unit. You get, you know, I bet it was. <laughs> but uh, getting back to it, though, it no, it's it. Um, I had some buddies, <clears throat> and like I said, I was at the era where uh, we started playing with trap throwers and stuff, and skeet was kind of a big thing. Trap, trap was not big in the south. And sporting clays really had not started yet. And once we played with a couple of skeet fields and uh, a couple of the guys that I was dealing with uh, or, or buddies with at the time, uh, one had a lot of money, started his own business. And uh, I mean, he's, they're still in business today. And then um, they're a rival at this point. But uh, the, um, the other one, same thing, he started and, we were buddies, so one could one had the money, the backing, had the machinery. The other guy had a desire, and then I was like, um, I come in as the third part of it, and basically was going to shoots and talking to people and and doing more of the uh, business end as far as you know invoicing who did what. We were a pretty good team to be to be honest with you. And then uh, those two got into a really big situation, and uh, uh, I kind of started out here. Uh, kind of on my own, and uh, it, it has worked out well. I mean, we're not we're not wealthy people by no means, but uh, the bills do get paid these days. So that that part. So, too. so when when you're talking about that era, like when would that have been, and what was the first shop like, and and what were you that doing? Was, that was in the that was in the '90s, and uh, basically, it it I was there probably ten years with that, and then around. Actually, we started this business. Uh, it was crazy. I had $248 in my pocket. And to this day, I don't care if I'm on the beach, if I'm in the turkey woods, wherever I'm at, you will never see me without $248 in my pocket. I, I mean, that's just kind of a weird deal. But uh, I had $248. My name had everything behind. Uh, and I was in uh, running a little shop behind my house. Had one kid starting college and one in high school. And... Uh, it was pretty ugly. I mean, it really, I mean, it was pretty ugly. And um, had a guy out of North Carolina, out of the blue, just went back, was doing guns for him. I apologized. I said, man, I should have had this gun uh, a week, two weeks ago, you know, done. I said, but uh, he's like, oh, no problem. And we, we got to visit. And he goes, man, you look like you could use a break. And he gave me a break. And so that kind of started, kind of got me out of a, it got me out of a bind. And then we started building. Uh, from there and like I said everything was kind of sent from above so religious or if you're not or whatever I am on that end of it I'm still a dying heathen but um, I got a really good shining from that and uh, he <clears throat> excuse me he uh, 
um, very blessed with it. And uh, we just kept after it. And it went from one, you know, we're not huge right now, but it used to be just me. And now there's 26 others in there, you know. And so we. 26 we gunsmiths, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, some machining, some, some gunsmith. Um, some guys, you know, we're doing Cerakote and we do dipping and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all different kinds of folks there. So Rob, if you, when you, it's kind of crazy because what you basically just said, is like, there's so much that you hear today and you hear this when you're a kid and you hear it now, it's like, it's so, it sounds so cliche. And it's just like, when you hear it, when you're trying to find your way through an industry, you hear people say this stuff and you're just like, Oh, just, just shut up. When, but when you hear the thing about, if you take your passion and you, you go all after it and you really give everything to it. It's just kind of crazy how sometimes it works out. You know, when you, even when you don't have any money, it just, there's that, it just seems like there's not that many people in the world that are super passionate about stuff. So when somebody with money or like whoever, you know, helped get you a break, he probably saw that you were doing a great job. Maybe you were, you know, missing a component of the business side of things as far as funding or whatever, but it's just weird how that passion kind of leads you into where you be. It was. And, and like I said, it was uh, when when that come apart, never knew this guy from Adam, just uh, heaven sent type thing comes in. It's like I showed my wife. I said, look at this email. Uh, you know, and it's like, where'd that come from? You know, well, you know where it does. Right. But um, that was that was a good start. And since then, <clears throat> I keep losing my voice here. We went into a situation that was really good for us was I got in a fight with a guy from Benelli. <laughs> and uh, I was talking real tough for a guy that had $248 in his name. <laughs> I was trying to get some parts to do some stuff to soup up some Benelli's that uh, I could sell some of these guns. And he told me it was not possible. And I said, so, and I used, uh, uh, I used Max Prairie Wings, for example. I said, you know, here in Arkansas, I said, and this has nothing to do with them, but I said, um, if I went down there, and I bought some guns. <clears throat> I bought a Benelli from them. And I come back and I tricked this gun out and I did all the stuff I wanted to do with it. And I sold it to somebody. You're telling me that can't happen. He goes, that cannot happen. I said, well, what do you mean? What are you going to do? He said, we'll pull, <clears throat> we'll pull these guys. We'll pull their license. We'll do. And this guy's not with Benelli anymore, by the way. Um, he moved on. He moved on. He well, he moved on to Weatherby, and he's moved around. And I can tell you where he's at now because I've still have talked to him since. But at that particular time, I told him, I said, "Well, you stand back and watch." I'm talking real tough. Now, understand, I didn't have enough money to even go buy it now, but uh, I was talking about. It. Yeah, I was the, here. Hey, that's the that's the best time to make some tough statements. Yeah, it is. Like, hey, I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and so I did. I went, and uh, it took me about six months. But uh, I did, I did get the Benelli, <clears throat> uh, did all the work, put it out, and then I went to that National Wild Turkey Federation over in Nashville at th that year, and uh, which we we go all the time, and I had a table set up and basically just hand out business cards. Had a couple of guns there, and had a buddy of mine go with me. So here, just hand out business cards. Let's see what we can drum up. And uh, this guy come by and he started talking. And he said, uh, this gun, what all have you done? I told him, he said, can you do that for us? I said, well, you know, they're just you standing there. Who's us? He said, well, I'm with Benelli. I need you to, would you meet with me at 10 o'clock or in the morning at 10 o'clock? And so we actually started the performance shop guns 
from that, I mean, it was, it was funny how it escalated. And uh, it was the only time in my life, I, instead of, you know, name calling, I said, well, you're the, how are you? You know, I mean, that was unusual for me, but it was like, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we started off and we do like five months and that was great and wonderful. And now it's like, we've had a super, uh, Benelli has been absolutely awesome. We've got a great partnership with them and, and we do a lot of guns and back and forth and, and try to come up with new stuff. And it's, it's really went from there. And so, uh, is a big part. And then, uh, once it got from doing strictly turkey guns and got into the waterfowl side, that's, that was the other big part, you know, waterfowl is, is just huge as you guys already know. Uh, it's, it's probably the biggest of all the, all the hunting markets, uh, to me, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've offended some people saying, you know, I, I grew up in the hills chasing squirrels, turkeys, deer, that type thing compared to the ducks, even though I'm in Arkansas, I was more on the, on the hillside. And I said, uh, but the, the dedication on waterfowl hunters is way above all else. I mean, these guys, they're, they're counting backwards, you know, when the season's over, it's okay. How many clicks do we get to go again? And, and so, um, it's just a huge industry to do. It's, it's once you get in part of it, um, that all worked out really well. So that's, that's kind of where we, we come from. Well, so, okay. So kind of, it's probably not chronological, but just, you gave us your backstory there, kind of how that went, which is unreal. It's, it's weird whenever you think about it, even today with all the technology we got in your case is proof of it being there is, is a big part of it. I mean, if you wouldn't have been at that NWTF show with a couple guns handing out cards, who knows how that could have changed the course of your, sure. of your company. And, and it might, you know, you might've met the guy two weeks later, but, but it's just kind of crazy how being there and being available and, you know, going all in on something can, you know, change things too. It, it has, it, uh, you know, timing's everything, I guess, but uh, it's hard to plan that timing. You just kind of have to, uh, like I said, that's where I always give thanks, you know, the good Lord shined on us because he put us there at that particular time because there, there was no other rhyme or reason for it. If, if I took our listeners, all six of them, and, and looked at what they did, I would say they probably, the turkey hunting, obviously probably in waterfowl hunting, you know, a lot of guys that are following Ira or, or, or even I are probably doing so because of the, you know, the waterfowl community type feel. But so I feel like it's common because I've used the Rob Roberts choke for, as long as I can remember and, and everybody really that I hunt with does for the most part, but the, the triple thread choke system is, I mean, in my opinion, you know, it kind of took me away from the medium f full improved cylinder shit that I never really as a kid understood anyways. And I was probably always shooting the wrong thing. It's like, you know, now I just know, like I always leave my T3 in all season, but I know what it's going to do. So just take us a little bit through that triple threat system, kind of basically kind of just describe that for people that might not know. Okay. That what, what did, I mean, like I said, I spent uh, a lot of times, you know, using this heat brain of mine, but I would sit there and I kept trying to figure out a way that you didn't have to come up with everybody. You'd go to a sporting clays range, for example, you'd be at the nationals and you'd look up and you watch this guy that walks out on the podium there to shoot or uh, the stand there station, whatever you want to call it. And he's going to shoot this target and he looks at the target and he's, measuring and he's, he's pointing and he takes him about five minutes and then he screws one choke out, screws another choke in and screws this. 
and pretty soon I was not, you know, any world's champion, but I was more of the heathen side that at this point, I just wanted to walk up there and take the butt of my gun and hit him right in the face with it. It's like, shoot <laughs> before it gets away from me. You're driving me crazy. You know, I, I, people do that to me. I, I, I don't know. My patience run out. And it's like, the really good guys, the guys that really could shoot and really knew what they were doing, they walked up to the station. It really didn't matter what they threw. They'd break it. They were, they were on. They knew they knew what their gun did. They would go up there, and they'd use the same choke for everything. Um, and so it's like, okay, that sticks. So with the, with the pattern analysis machine and stuff that we had, we were able to take chokes out here. We'd find a gun. We'd find what that gun liked in, in perspective, what, what was – really that that gun liked and um uh for example if you took a benelli it was a small board gun it, and it really liked this t2 choke we didn't want to come out and just say okay this is a light mod or this is an improved cylinder we wanted to come out and take that out of your mind uh, basically you just need this choke trust us on this we patterned this gun we run it through the paces take this choke and, and go with it this is what this gun really and truly likes and so even with the triple threat, the, the T1, T2, T3 allowed you to cover a lot of bases, but in reality, certain guns like certain things, like, uh, like for duck hunting, you know, and if you're hunting like we do, where we hunt a lot of rice fields, and you might have some 40, 45-yard shots, and, uh, and then you do have some close ones. So if, if I want my gun basically to be a 40-yard gun, I want it to be able to, if it's uh, I better be on the target. If it's out there farther and I've misjudged it, I'm still able to kill respectively. So um, uh, what I'm trying to get with the T1, T2, T3 type thing was um, it was a short, medium, and long, but, uh, and we try to tell you, if you're shooting quail, if you're shooting skeet, if you're shooting everything within about a 30-yard uh, range, this T1 works perfect out of that gun. Your T2 was kind of always your go-to choke. And then if you're going to shoot some long range stuff where you are shooting, say from handicap trap to uh, goose hunting or, or to whatever, uh, crow hunting, stuff like that's where that comes in handy. Uh, that's your tight choke. And so um, the, the other thing about it is by, by naming it the T1, T2, T3, we didn't have an exact constriction. So we took the math kind of away from uh, the guy's mind, which takes me back to the guy that walks up on the stand. He thinks that, well, an improved cylinder should have a such and such pattern at so many yards, okay? So that would be IC or, nope, that would be an improved mod situation, blah, blah, blah. That, I wanted that gone. I wanted that completely out of people's mind. That's too much thinking. That's too much. Um, you don't get in a Oh, I go get in a pit here somewhere over here in a rice field, and I look up, and we're going to watch the first two waves of ducks come through so we know how far and what choke we should put in our game. You know, that crap don't happen. Uh, let's put in let's, – let's go. We're going to kill. So, um, like, if you – let's say you're using a Benelli that's got a tight bore, and I say, man, put this T2 in there and just about leave it – you know, don't take it out. Um, I might turn to Ira and go, hey, you're using a Browning whatever, Super X4 with a bigger bore in it. Put the T3 in yours. And uh, you're thinking, 
well, that don't that don't make sense. But we've already done the math. Is, right. is what it amounts to. We don't have to. Because every- if yeah, because in reality, at the end of the day, the T two final constriction um, in a Benelli with a small bore is tighter than a T three constriction in a big board, say a Super X four, and. Um, um, but we don't want you thinking of that. We want to go ahead and do that for you. So you just go out and go, Hey dude, I'm good. Here's my gun. All we got to find out is where's the ducks? Where, where are they at? What are they doing? My dog's ready. I got all the decoys. We set the spread. We're here. The last thing you need to worry about is, uh, well, how far are they going to be? Should I screw in this choke or that? So that's when I come up actually the triple threat. And, um, we've got a new system that's coming. And it's, it's going to come out here. At, we're going to wait till turkey season passes and try to get this up. And, and we're, we're dealing with some, some uh, other stuff. And once again, this is going to add to it. So it's, not, uh, it's going to be a little different, but it's not going to take away from what you're already doing. But it's going to be another um, – it's really going to be kind of cool, I think. I think this is, this is something that nobody else – I don't want to get too far into it because there's absolutely nobody else doing it. And um, I think it's I think it's going to be something that's going to be really really handy. Is and, it going to be something? Yeah, it's with the chokes also. Is it going to be something, Rob? Where you know, like I said, you don't have to get into any of it. But is it going to be something where if a guy is used to shooting your product, using your product, it's something that's going to be pretty seamless to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and like I said, we we always want to give enough customer service to them when they call and ask question that we have somebody goes, oh yeah. No, here's here's why we did this, and that's sure. that's what we did it for, and um, and it's it's just going to have to do with all the new available uh, stuff that's coming out, and so you know um, we haven't we're not changing the chokes, we're not we're not going into that, um, we're actually adding to the line is what it's going to amount to. So we're going to have different things for 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 different needs. Sure, sure. Well, I know. Well, and uh, and. In the meantime, we'll just hope that Joe Joe Biden holds his breath until then. So, <laughs> well, I I kind of hope they just blow it up and we start. We have new targets. <laughs> I know. Hey, you'll be you'll be ready for that if it happens. Uh, my business. I know. Like, yeah. like the craziest thing about it is for me, like when you explain it like that, it makes so much sense. I I have kind of lucked out because when I first got my when I first bought the T3, it was a long time ago, but I remember I had no money and I had a Mossberg that I'd limped along for the, the previous rest of my life. And I remember it wouldn't shoot. And I literally tried everything. I don't know how much I dumped into it trying to get it going. But one day I'm like, you know what? I have today's the day I got to get a gun that freaking shoots. And it was snow goose season. And I thought, I don't even, can't even afford but one choke. So I'm going to have to get something that I can shoot at a snow goose with. I probably should have been just working and saving money, but I was like, screw it. I'm going to get this one $80 choke or whatever it was, $60, whatever it was. And it was a T3 for a Winchester SX3. And I don't think I've ever taken it out and not saying I'm a great shot with it, but I feel like if I'm using that gun, it's one thing. If I was seen it, if I'm using another gun, I just feel like I can't even shoot. I might as well be throwing a baseball at him, but I have just that much confidence in that setup that it just changed kind of my outlook on shooting. Well, Cool. I mean, I'm I'm glad that example uh, that was your bigger board gun. And so, at the end of the day, 
you're, you're looking at somewhere around a 742 bore. Uh, let's say it's 740 just for good measures, okay? Um, most of those are 742, but if it was a 740 bore and the T3 is around a 30 thousandths constriction, um, so, well, it is 30,000. So if you, if you did the math, you ended up with a 710, okay? Now, if you, if you went down into the Benelli side of things and you said, well, all right, uh, most of those are around 721 to 723 bores, but for easy math, we'll just say um, they're 725, okay? Um, if you put a T2 choke, which is around 15,000 constriction, you do the math again right there and you're around 710. So there you go. You had 710 to 710. One's a T2 and a Benelli, the other's a T3 and a Browning. That's where we find, because what we found that most of the patterns that when we went out and really tested this stuff and we tested everything from steel to, to whatever, you know, whatever was available. Uh, I know there's newer stuff coming all the time, but um, uh, you know, the TSS wasn't out then, but actually we're finding it falls right into whether you're shooting, you know, TSS and bismuth, you can, you can, and lead, you can tighten those down where the other ones steel and black cloud and, and stuff like that. And, and even the heavy shot, you, you stay in that mid, mid size. But um, uh, at the end of the day, that's what we're finding is somewhere around that constriction 705 to 710 area on most shotguns. That's where we were finding it was. So um, that was your sweet spot for all your mid-range hunting. And so that's there's where the T2 came from, okay? And so um, if we would have said this is, uh, you know, uh, in, in theory, every 5,000th in a 12-gauge shotgun is a choke tube increment. So if, uh, if you was calling it, this would be a light mod, this would be a light full. Well, that, all that does is screw with the guy's head. It's, uh, hey, this is a T2 and this is a T3. They quit worrying about it. Oh, screw it in, let's go kill something. That was, that was the whole idea. And, and it's, been, it's been really good. For sure. Um, and we're, like I said, we're not trying to change that up. We're going to add a little... We're throwing a little wrench into it, but it's something else to uh, uh, help out with. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. business, so, you know, and it and it it's not a gimmick that's coming either. Yeah, that's good. So I don't want to get too much into the technical of it because, you know, like oh, you said, uh, you guys you guys uh, do the work and us dummies need to just stand there, close both eyes and pull the trigger. But uh, when we hear you guys talking about, you know, you guys talking about forcing tone work, what, what does that mean? Well, that was something inside your barrel of your shotgun. Uh, you do have some American, so-called American guns now that are coming out, um, let's say Browning. Um, those guns are coming out and don't have the forcing cones. You know, they're, they're actually starting to build some without them in there. What the forcing cone years ago was put in guns and still has been, especially on your European market. So you're always going to see your Berettas, your Benellas, your, you know, whatever, Prozzi, whatever. They're, they're going to have them. Um, because what it was, um, plastic wads, cardboard wads, stuff like that, uh, the forcing cone was used to, form your shot before it went into the bore of your shotgun. And, you know, today, I mean, all of our American-made products and everything over here, we're using plastic wads and all this other kind of stuff. So it's really not doing anything but more of a distortion factor 
uh, stuff for it to bounce off, drag on, whatever the case may be. So when we started lengthening and polishing those out and, and uh, getting them to where you're taking, a, let's call it a wind gate. And if you got a, a you're opening up, so you're taking back pressure, which is felt recoil. So you're taking that felt recoil off your shoulder, pushing it. You're not gaining a great, you know, maybe 1% on velocity, which might be 10 feet a second. It, it, you're not doing it for that reason, but you're taking some felt recoil off. And what we notice is your patterns just got more dense. Um, so when you're going out there, uh, they are getting denser. Your 12 and 20 gauge, especially, um, man, it's a noticeable difference. It, it really is. And, and, and your tight board guns, um, so I'll take every gun I got. I mean, that's first thing. Uh, so, so we've been through some technical stuff and uh, talked about the shop and some serious stuff. Uh, I just want to break this up with a couple little questions. Uh, the first one is, what are some Rob Roberts moonshine tips? It's never good. Um, yeah, we had, uh, we, we had a, and, and my nemesis, which is Diet Mountain Dew, stay away from that stuff too. It, uh, it's embalming fluid. It's not good for your body either. We had a moonshot, uh, moonshine experience together that made us think that we were, that we were tarred and feathered and looked like a turkey the next morning when we were stumbling across those fields with that fan in front of our face. Oh God. Oh yeah. That's nasty stuff. Like, what hey, about uh you know that usually starts off with hey try this oh really <laughs> that's not too bad no no this one tastes good. even better well i tell you what good deal. in a day in a day where judgment is often questioned at least we can count on some industry pros to get hammered and go out hunting i really appreciate that guys <laughs> thank you how about a fast food tip can we get a fast food tip please oh yeah stay away from those and if um i've always you know what's funny about our fast food thing? Um, we won't mention where it was at, but uh, it's a chain in about every town. But I told you when we drove up there, they're not going to give them the, give me a number two cheeseburger. It's a chili dog with, uh, and I, it was funny. It's like, no, give me this, this, this. They came back and it was off the wall. Ira starts laughing and I'm laughing because I'd already warned him that they're not going to understand me at all. And so I get all done and he goes, you know what? Order me the same thing. So ordered him the same thing. I dang sure uh, wasn't going to have him go through it again. He left there, went, said, all right, let's go back cabin. We're going to take a nap. We'll go hunt this afternoon. And uh, boy, I woke up uh, and we, I had about five days. I think Visine was one of the main ingredients into those cheeseburgers, and uh, it, it was pretty bad. Yeah, don't don't ever make the guy mad that's cooking your food. Uh, we but, painted uh, we painted Central Kansas brown on that trip. Yeah, yeah. The only good side was you killed uh, about a twenty four pound bird that day. Yeah, no, I mean that was a great trip, great time. Enjoyed it, man. But uh, golly, I, I I just laugh every time I think about that. Oh, it was awful. It was awful. And uh, turkey season is, uh, man. Uh, I've been getting lots of scouting reports from up in your direction, and uh, it's really good. I'm seeing pictures that the turkeys are really come back strong in the state of Missouri. And, this year, uh, Arkansas, good. we're on the mend. We're yeah, our, we're on the mend. We're 
we've had two turkeys in the state and most everybody here hunts them. And so they're, they're pretty weary. And I, I'm hoping this year we're up to maybe seven or eight turkeys. <laughs> I hope some of the hatch. Yeah. What about the places that you hunt, like where you duck hunt or even where you deer hunt or whatever, are, are there any cool stories about how you came across some of those and, and do you just lease stuff or, and go on trips or do you own anything? Well, this, this year, um, this year has been phenomenal. I've really got to hunt some cool stuff and been on, um, like I've, I never hunted Oklahoma before as far as on ducks. And man, it was awesome. It, uh, Oklahoma has been phenomenal. Um, I actually made three trips over there and I got to hunt with some really cool guys like, uh, uh, which I knew him, Cody Cannon with Whiskey Myers, uh, Chase Rice, couple of those guys like that was a lot of fun so the the experience of go to those places and hang out with these guys is, is is really cool um but no most of them just like um it's buddies you know the same thing it's it's a small world um uh, matter of fact i was planning our i go every year out south carolina at least once or twice and actually hunt uh turkeys and gators there and um South Carolina is not really known. I mean, people don't really think. They think of Louisiana and Florida for gators, but South Carolina's got monster gators. And um, it's, a, it's a really cool place. And, and I usually hit those same places every year. And, I mean, I have buddies go back and forth. Just, you know, it, it, uh, um, I really, uh, like this year or this last year, everything with this COVID and everything going on, I've not got to – do the Canada thing, and um, and I really would like to go back to Africa. Africa is where it really the world changes over there. That's that's really if you ever get an opportunity to go hunt Africa, and I don't mean just going to South Africa. I mean go into the to the bush, go into some of that cool place. Uh, that's totally awesome. That that's really fun. But uh, is but even the ducks and stuff around here. I hunted probably eight different States this year on ducks and, uh, and geese and teal. I mean, a couple of them, I just went for teal, but, uh, it, it is, it's, it's been really good year for that. Hopefully 2022 is even better. Well, one thing's for sure. Uh, old Rob Roberts is going to wear out. He's not going to rust out. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, I, I tell you, it, it ruined my turkey season last year. I had to go in. I had some health issues, and and pretty much everything's come back to life. So uh, um, I'm hoping to uh, – poor judgment is what kills me. I think I've mentioned that before, but I'm not looking for cancer or something like that. I want poor judgment to kill me, but uh, – <laughs> and, and that can't happen. Rob, where are you going? Are you coming up north for turkey season this year? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I do hunt actually uh, right up there by Ira. And I try to keep find out where he's at. You know, if he's not in town, then I usually hunt real close to where he's at. Oh, me. But uh, I'm here. I'd <laughs> be a waste of both your time. That's for sure. <laughs> well, um, Missouri is probably northern Missouri is my favorite place. And if I can figure out how to get into Iowa, uh, that would probably be my next favorite place to turkey hunt because they are loaded up there with turkeys. I've never seen the likes of turkey. I do get to deer hunt up there quite a bit every year. I've been going the last three or four years, and uh, unbelievable. But now I know they're 
their laws on getting uh, turkey permits and stuff like that, it, it's it's a little tougher. I've not killed uh, what some of these others have killed. Um, you know, you hear stories, but the only turkey that I have actually mounted that I've had fires and everything else, but I still have one turkey and uh, 28 pounds that inch and three quarter hooks on both sides and a 12 and a quarter broom that was just huge. And that was uh, right up there in Northern Missouri, right? Pretty close to Ira's backyard, his camp, <laughs> pretty close to his camp. But uh, no, actually it was, it was probably 60, 70 miles north of there. And uh, yeah, it's loaded this year. Uh, uh, it's unreal how many turkeys in that area. But Missouri does it right. They cut them off. Everybody at one o'clock got to be done. And uh, short season, they'll, they'll keep birds for a while. I did uh, just uh, kind of an interesting deal. There were two uh, white ones living on Locust Grove this year. So the next time you're trespassing my backyard, be looking for a white one. Well, we need to take those out because they'll ruin your herd. Have you not heard that? It'll ruin the whole flock if you don't kill them out. We haven't confirmed that yet, Rob, either. I know, I know that about the time that I heard the story about the white turkeys, I tripped over a damn thing Evan Williams going into Iris camp too. So until somebody else sees it, I mean, I'd say you go ahead. They're ghosts. I had, I had witnesses for Lord's sake. Yeah. Who? <laughs> you and I, I think, I think, man, I think Bo Brooks was with me. I, I can't remember who it was. He's but named Brian Bob Anderson Bob. asked him. He saw him too. He's been, named I'm Bob. not the only person to have laid eyes on these turkeys. All right. We'll believe it until somebody proves it otherwise. They will ruin the health. Matter of fact, you should shoot um, any brown deer up there, too, that you <laughs> see, because they're going to ruin your turkeys. And uh, you might as well get them all. When I, <laughs> I know one thing. I told Rob that this lease that he's got one of these farms he was hunting up here this year's lease. He was like, "What? describe it to me or whatever. And I said, well, I said, I, the way it looks to me and the way it lays out to me, it's going to need somebody that can shoot a ways. And I said, so do you know anybody? And I think he got that figured out all right, because I don't know that I've ever had a rifle that I've shot over 100 yards. I don't know if it goes any further, but I don't think he has a trouble testing out the range a little bit. I'm going to tell you that uh, to get in those rolling hills on that, it's it's deer paradise where you're at, too. Because, like I said, it was it was one of those things that uh, you just need a high spot, you know, and, and Missouri's a state that allows that. And so, yeah, if you, you take these rifles, rifles will shoot a long way. And, uh, um, which we do a lot of rifles. We just don't really advertise it, but, um, yeah, you can, uh, you can really, uh, time Missouri rifle season was in. So you were looking at this one, that one, and seeing so many big deer and so, and so many things going on. It, it was really cool. Well, everybody, everybody deer hunts a different way. I know, like, I know you obviously like to stretch it out, see a bunch, shoot them in a long ways because you've got the equipment to do it. I like to bow hunt. I like to be in the woods. And then mm -hmm. you got Ira, the deer hunter. I pulled one of his cameras for him this year, and I was looking through the camera card, and his deer that he shot this year, I was going through. I'm like, all right, looking through the card, I'm like, doe, 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 Habitat Flats vehicle headed in with duck hunters, doe, 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 raccoon. And then I see Ira straggling in one morning at like 7.34. Well, at like 7.30. my rifle. And with the, dragging his rifle behind, he's got uh, orange and shit hanging off, look like a skateboarder without a cause. And he drags in 
and he gets up in the stand evidently and at like 7:38 I'm out there like getting naked in the field changing clothes you know Ira's at 7:38 here comes this deer walk by smells the dam where he walked in and then like 2 minutes later he texts me he's like well got him so Ira got a late start was looking seeing white turkeys the night before got out that next morning well after daylight and hunted for about four minutes and killed one so i guess it works different ways for that's how you do it that, that's the way you do it yeah i've, I've, I've been Some on of us don't here. mess around with all that stuff no, man no, people no, give mean, their I, too much credit like, you know and i've been with you where it's like uh oh crap i brought my 28 gauge but my shells are for 410 i gotta go back <laughs> yeah. to the cabin i'll that's see y'all a zillion times that yeah, brings not up. a zillion uh, that brings twice. Up, that bring, pff, well, we were we were there the two times it happened, but <laughs> I, I think I think Rob that he does, and his brother can back me up on this. We've hunted all together enough. He thinks of these bullshit reasons to go on back to the cabin that way he lets us get the slow time out of the way, and then he comes back in. He can come back in an hour later. The ducks are probably flying better, and then he can always say, "Oh, you guys only have six? What the hell? That's <laughs> what in the world." <laughs> The man's hey man, somebody's got to keep all the all the marbles inside the circle, man. Like yeah. when I leave, I'm doing important stuff, man. I'm I'm, I'm checking tubes and yeah. making sure all our ducks are in a row. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody knows they're blind as well as a guy that it's they're blind. And so I've I've run into that, and it's uh, I, I've noticed the trend on that. It's like uh, I promise you, he knows which, when, when, how, where, and so he'll go screw off that other time through that other let you get cold or whatever and then he'll come back and do all the killing i get it hey it's just like this the day i the day i shot that deer you know why i was deer hunting the only reason i was deer hunting because it was cloudy and no wind and i'm like well what a perfect day to deer hunt i'm damn sure not going duck hunting so that's just efficiency we all it is the best there are numerous but not to get into too many of them because we'll be here till tomorrow at three o'clock but the best one of his uh, gallivanting deals, he's like, I've got so much work to do. No ducks flying. Y'all can stay here and hunt if you want to, but I got work to do. So me and Aaron were like, well, we're going to stay on. We're going to go ahead and stay and hunt. Well, you guys have at it. So he leaves and Aaron's like, well, we're sitting in heaven blind. Aaron's like, well, you know, he didn't want to be here. He wanted to do work. That's fine. But, you know, we can still hunt. There's no reason we can't hunt. All of a sudden I hear some scratching around. I look out is out there with a little bucket of rocks, dumping it all around. I mean, the, the most useless job he could have done. He's dumping rock. Aaron, so are you dumping gravel out while we're trying to hunt? He's like, well, needed to be fixed. So if he if it's really no good, he's going to make it to where you're not hunting either. So we just decided to go ahead and help do whatever, I guess. Well, here, okay, got a couple of listener questions. Uh, I know you got shit to do, Rob. Um, what, uh, what would you, and Ira, you can answer this too, but you guys are both good people to, to do. I and mean, you kind of have already, but one of our people that was following along with the page asked if you could tell somebody in short that wants to be involved in the outdoor industry. And I, I, we all hear that question all the time, but what would you tell somebody just as a blanket statement? Hey, I'm interested in getting in the outdoor industry. What would either of you two, Ira, we can start with you and then we'll go to Rob. What would either of you two tell somebody to do? I mean, golly, you just have to start with the resources that are at hand. You know, I don't, it depends on where you live and all that stuff. But, you know, if you want to get in the outdoor industry, the best way to do it is get your hands dirty and uh, you better be ready to work and know that you're going to start at the bottom. And uh, that's, that's kind of the way that it all starts. And then at some point, you can't be afraid to take risks 
and, you know, keep both eyes wide open. And when you see an opportunity, I mean, try not to burn any bridges, but don't be scared to, to make a move and grab the ball and run with it. I would say go with what you what you like. You know, I mean, if this guy, if this person in the outdoors is into um, squirrel hunting, then start there. You can you can broaden from that, but I would go with what you like the best. If you know if it's ducks, stay on ducks. You know, start looking for different avenues uh, of whatever you can pursue and do what you're good at. But just like he said, you're going to have to uh, get your hands dirty. You're going to have to really stay on it. Um, I've got a nephew, uh, for example, right now that's trying to get into it. He's in. He is uh, well. He's about to retire out of U.S. Army Special Forces. Uh, he's he's beaten bangs. He's he's in his 18th year, um, 14 deployments. Uh, seen a lot of things, but he's really big into ducks. And so what he's trying to do, he's trying to get into the outdoor world uh, by putting in leases, uh, you know, buying land so he can, or buying and leasing land, trying to. Uh, to build there and so that's that's what he's wanting to do but expect uh, to really dig in and eat bologna sandwiches a lot for a little bit but it if you really dedicate to it i think you i think you'll make it you know i think you'll, you'll come out of it it seems like it's a balance i know ira and i have talked about this quite a bit but the way i see it like you know i had no real like in whenever i got started working with companies it was just like what i looked at was like providing value the whole thing is about providing value like let's just say that i want to get involved with company a or b i feel like as a guy i'm coming at it from joe blow who's got an instagram page and wants to be involved and has no idea what's going on i think the first thing you got to do is it's not what you want to do so maybe you want to maybe i want to take photos and i want you to pay me for the photos or whatever else it's not about that it's looking in my opinion it's looking at your business because it has to make business sense everybody would come to iron i with momarsh they'd be like can you sponsor us well, what does that even mean? Why? What are you talking about? But the guys that provided value, you know, no matter what it was, it seems like the best way is to find a company you want to align with, something that you want to do. Let's say it's in the waterfowl industry, the big game industry, farming, whatever it is. It seems like finding a way you can provide value to them is what makes a difference. And that seems simple, but so many guys, you know, want to look at a company that, you know, they want to look at a company like Sitka that's got the world's best outdoor photographers and they want to say, well, I want to, I want you to pay me for my photos. Well, they don't, they don't need that. So either find somebody else to do it for or find something that you can do that would suit a company that already has some badass photographers. You know, I mean, it just seems like so many people now, well, this is what we want to do for that company. And if we can't do that, we're not interested. So what I would tell somebody is either be real good at what you're doing or be willing to adapt and, and do what, what needs to be done at least to start with. Yeah. We had a, uh, a guy that, you know, Lee jokes, you know, you guys know Lee and I know Lee and we all know Lee. And, and he walked the first time I ever met him, he walked up to me and he goes, uh, Hey, are you Rob? Yep. Hey, I'm Lee. And, um, and he goes, I'm a, I'm a photographer. So is that right? And he sat down and I looked at it and it's like, yes, you are. You know, I mean, it just, uh, it was so good. And he yep. just sat in front of me and I looked at it and I go, yes, you are. And uh, outstanding. So if you got that kind of ability, then, uh, yeah, you're going to go far regardless of how, how many other people are doing it. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's some time he put in. I mean, he's, he's yeah, yeah. 
it's on what he does with the photo. I know when I and I were sitting in Canada with them, you know, he was, he got his computer out and was showing how like, you know, he doesn't take a photo. He takes a thousand photos and sets up a scene to create a, I mean, he's a hell of a photographer, but what he can do for marketing wise, if you get, if Rob Roberts needs him to do something, he's going to paint that in his mind and he's going to set that up so perfectly. He's just a, he's an example of somebody who's mastered, you know, the craft and is continually, you know, kind of setting the standard for it. A hell of a, hell of a guy too, really. Yeah. I've, I've actually uh, hunted with him a couple of different times this year. I've seen him uh, earlier, earlier on in the season, seen him in, um, on a spec hunt down there. And like you said, when you pull up, he's laying out there in a mud hole upside down with a zoom lens and taking pictures. I don't know what exactly drives him, but it's, it's gotta be mostly just the passion for, for hunting and doing what, you know, what we're doing. Man. I mean, we could go on uh, and on and on with, with Rob telling stories about how to, had water curves on highways in Missouri, and uh, uh, un you guys both have a knack for ungutted bucks and in uh, odd places and vehicles and um, and various other things that I cannot bring up. So uh, we'll just save those for a little whiskey at duck camp and uh, call it a call it a good day. Man, Rob, we I know I and I both really appreciate you coming on here. As we end it here, where's your first turkey trip? Uh, South Carolina. That's the uh, gator out there. Yep. Uh, I usually end out there. It comes in at the end of, end of March, and uh, it really works out good because i got a couple buddies out there, and I'll turkey hunt in the morning and chase gators all afternoon and then do it again. And usually when I come home, um, lots of meat and lots of good eating. Rob, you'll be hearing from us and hopefully seeing some pictures from us and vice versa throughout Turkey. Okay. I don't think I'll be killing any gators, but hopefully I have a couple turkey pictures to send you. Send them on. And if you start getting pecked to, get, pecked to death up there, holler, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll try to help you. I come hope through. You. Let's try to hook up this spring. Let's try. Whenever you get through, Rob, come through and we'll, uh, it'd, be, it'd be fun to hook up. I know you got plenty of turkeys where you're at, but it'd be fun to hook up. Sounds like a winner. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm going to get my 28 gauge, 410, 10 gauge all polished up and ready to go. And uh, you guys can shoot my turkeys for me while I'm over there trying to find my bullets. Okay. No shit. That will work fine. <laughs> we'll try to help you out, man.